Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. When's the last time you took a time out? I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play, and Find Your Unicorn Space activist on the gender division of labor, attorney, and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health, and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. We're peeling back the layers around why society makes it so easy to guard men's time like it's diamonds and treat women's time like it's infinite, like sand. And so whether you're partnered with or without children or in a career where you want more boundaries, this is a place for you, for people of all family structures. So take this time out with us to learn, get inspired, and most importantly, reclaim your time. Listen to Time Out, a Fair Play podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for years, he's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like if you park your car on tall, dry grass, the hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So keep the animals safe, especially the cute shirtless one. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. Like I say every week on my show, it's time to stop reading other people's success stories. And what do I say? Start writing your own. People talk about their passions. They talk about gifts. And I say, if you have a gift, lead with it. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. The interviews I do on Money Making Conversations are for you. I bring in celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and what I like to call industry decision makers. And we talk about their secrets, talk about their ups and downs, about what it takes to be successful, even in the down times. My next guest... Let's talk about longevity. You talk about greatness. Patty LaBelle. The Grammy Award-winning artist and actress is on the show to discuss the 20th anniversary edition of a New York Times bestselling cookbook, Patty LaBelle's LaBelle Cuisine, Recipes to Sing About. Plus, we'll talk about her singing career, the impact of COVID-19, her successful food lines. If anybody's followed me on my social media, you know I've posted so many times by going to Walmart, picking up her stuff and selling how easy it is to make. You know, and then I was watching TV. I saw her in an Old Spice commercial. This one was everywhere. <laughs> Patty LaBelle is referred to as the godmother of soul. You know her music. Here's some of my favorites. You are my friend. If only you knew. New attitude. On my own. And stir it up. That's just a few. Those are my favorites. Now, I know y'all got y'all favorites out there. I'm just talking about Rashawn McDonald. I said the last song, Stir It Up, because we about to stir it up. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Patty LaBelle. Hi, Rashawn. How are you? Awesome. Awesome, Patty. I know you have a long day, and the fact you're taking time to talk to my fan base on Money Making Conversations is pretty amazing. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I can't complain, that's for sure. Right. We should I'm never blessed. Complain. I woke up... Absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, Patty, let's get, let's get straight to it, because I've never on Money Making Conversation had desserts in, on my desk, okay? And it's the 20th year I anniversary see. of you. I got a pecan pie that I made this morning, straight out of your book, okay? And then I have a peach cobbler. I reworked it Rashawn style, because I like peach cobblers in that pie shape. But you do your peach cobbler uh-huh. in an 8-inch square pan, put them peaches in there, then you lay some dough down, then you put the more peaches in there, then you put that dough on top, Put a little ground cinnamon on top. Woo! You're doing it, girl. I tell you. What you're talking about, go ahead. Well, I do know, it in any kind of pot pan or whatever. Peach cobbler is peach cobbler. <laughs> it comes out the same. Isn't it, isn't right. it though? But your recipes, Patty, I, which, let's talk about this. You know, I, I go through the book, and it's, it, it's, not, it's more than just desserts, by the way, everybody. I just happen to do desserts. You know, you got anywhere from a Patty's potato salad to pass it old, pass it on pot roast and all these different things. But it's a lot of easy recipes. Let's go back for a minute. Uh, 20 years ago, this is the 20th anniversary of this book. Why re-release it now? Because it's worthy. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, it was it was a great book. People learned to cook from this book. Mm-hmm. And so after 20 years, I figured I would add some new recipes, yes, some new photos of my little grandbabies who were not here <laughs> back in the day. And 20 years ago, they're here now. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. I mean, the, the new recipes are great, but people love to see me at the airport and say, Patty, I followed your macaroni and cheese recipe and it came out perfectly. Mm-hmm. So if you follow the book, you'll learn how to cook. Okay, and if you don't know how to cook, get the book. 
<laughs> well, that, that's what I. That's why I did what I did this morning on the show because a lot of people are intimidated by the cooking process. They can go in the kitchen and just shut down. And I and, the, and sometimes you get some uh-huh. cookbooks. They can't look complicated. But your book has yeah. stories in it. Talk about the process of putting together this easy-to-follow cookbook. Well, it's been in my life. Uh, my mother and father, they cooked every day of their lives. When they were married, you know, before they divorced, they still cooked solo. And I watched them both mm-hmm. cook great recipes and food. And that. when I began to cook, I took their recipes and enhanced it with a few other spices and different things that I wanted in that recipe. Mm -hmm. And it's been great. And I would always say to people when they want to say, Patty, how do you make this? I always say, don't use a measuring cup. Mm -hmm. It's soul drops that you use when you cook, no teaspoons, tablespoons, just dump it in and feel it. And then uh, say, I'm going to add this, but I'm not going to add a tablespoonful. And the measuring cup gets in the way of greatness, I think. Well, I'm going to just tell you this. I'm starting to get there. Patty, I'm not there yet now. Now on the food side, uh-huh. now on beans, anything beans, that's how I cook. I can't tell you how much salt I put in some black eyed peas or red beans or uh, pinto beans. I just do that whole thing. I throw some jalapenos in there. I can't tell you if it's eight jalapenos chopped up. I just do that by feel. Now on the baking side, I kind of stay strictly to the recipe, a fear factor, because you can go off a little bit. Yeah, I would say that. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. You could go off a little and stuff, but with the baked items, you have to stay a little close to the recipe. Yes, you're right. Right. And so Can you bake that beautiful peach cobbler? Well, I'm going to just tell you <laughs> something. This is how you helped me. Because I'm a big fan of pecan pies. And like you, I watched my mom in the kitchen. And when I started baking really about eight years ago, I really started baking patty. And uh, Steve Harvey pranked me on our talk show. And that's how he didn't think I could bake a cake and I wound up baking three. And I've been baking ever since and having a lot of fun in it. And so I had always struggled with how to do pecan pies because what I was doing wrong until I read your book. And this is an honest story. I would always, you know, you get the carol uh-huh. syrup because you use light carol syrup. And then, uh, and I would put, you use three eggs and the vanilla extract and you put it all together. And I would, I would mix my pecans in with that and stir it up. And so, and so, yes. and so, but your book, but it would always never float to the top, you know, because you see pictures of pecan pies. The pecans are always at the top looking great and shining. I could never get that. And then I read your book and your book says, Rashawn, well, I'm just speaking about Rashawn. It says, put the pecans, a cup and a half of pecans on the base. Then you pour your, your syrup on top of that and the pecans will float to the top. Even an old schooler like me learned something from this book. I wanted to tell you thank you because I did not know that. You know what I have to say too, Rashawn? When people uh, love my sweet potato pie and my pecan pie and whatever, uh-huh. I always say that your mother or grandmother probably makes a better one than mine. Mm-hmm. Mine is only from my way of, right. of cooking, but it's not the best in the world, that's for sure. So just use your mind when you make your pecan pie. Well, yes. I use my mind, but I needed your help. <laughs> because finally, my pecan <laughs> pie looks like the pecan pie I grew uh, up looking so you you may not be, my mom may not made it like it, but at least it looks like my mom made. So I'm happy with that. Now, what are the expectations of this book going out? I know, you, I know you're telling the world about your book, Patty LaBelle, LaBelle's Cuisine, Recipes to Sing About. Talk about that whole 
essence of love that you you always radiate that that I feel that I can hug you. I know you get a lot of hugs. COVID really shut a lot of that down. But I know people always feel they can just sit down and talk to you, whether it's a good story or a sad story. Talk about that 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 love that people have, your fan base or strangers have for you. It's such a great feeling. Uh, so many people call me auntie, uh, mom. Uh, they they put me in their family, mm-hmm. and that's a compliment to me because they really feel feel highly of Patty LaBelle, and they're loving on me like like crazy. I mean, fans <laughs> when we're like in the airport, they'll right. see me mm-hmm. right, and they'll walk by. They're afraid to say hi, Patty. So I'll say hey. They say hi. I said, I'm Patty. And they'll come back and they'll hug and love. You know, I never make a person feel less than a human. Right. Because we're all the same. You, My name is on the marquee and yours is not, but I still feel as though we're equal. Right. You know, and that's, I've been getting great love mm-hmm. for for the last six years as I've been performing. True love. And, Honest love. Well, you know, in that, in that range of different music that you put out there, you know, the, the love, the experience. If anybody's not been to a concert featuring Patti LaBelle. It's, it's, it's a concert. It's a conversation. Tell us tell us about your style of performance. And has it changed over the years? Or that's how Patty's always been? Oh, you got the courage to say, I'm going to be Patty. This is the story I want to tell when I'm on stage performing. When I'm on stage, I could do 50 shows in a row. Mm-hmm. Every show will be different. Yes. I never sing a song the same way twice. Right. I never feel the audience the same way that I did last night. The audience is different tonight, and I'll feel certain things in the audience, and I'll talk to people, and I get such great uh, reaction from, from my audiences. Mm-hmm. They're always, like, ready to cry, ready to laugh, ready to for them to stand up and tell the truth. And I stand on stage. If my eyelash comes off, of course, you're going to know it. If my <laughs> shoe breaks, I'm going to stop the show and say, Let me give me another pair of pumps. Mm-hmm. I'm never afraid to be me mm-hmm. on stage and being cute and all proper and all that stuff, honey, is not me. I'm just a regular, round-the-way girl. Well, you know, it's funny because I was in, yeah. at the Houston Arena Theater. That's in Houston, Texas. Seats 3,000, show was sold uh-huh. out. And your eyelash did come off. And... <laughs> And the funny part yeah. about it, you know, it was just, you know, that's a gift to because some people get thrown off by that. They feel like they're they're fake. They feel like they're they're showing a side of they need to be perfect. And all we talked about when we left that concert, not only was the great performance that you had and the emotion, but boy, that 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 doing Patty Bear, she real, she real girl. She she let that eyelash stop her. And right there in front of three thousand people, you kept the show must go on. Oh, it has to go on. Little things like that happens. They happen naturally. They happen. But don't be ashamed and afraid to say, oh, I just broke my pump or my stock and just got to run in and say it. <laughs> Release yourself, honey. So I've been doing all my 60 years of singing on stage, releasing myself. Well, you're releasing yourself in a great way because here I am watching TV last night. I'm just going to tell you the truth, Pat. I'm watching TV last night. And the Old Spice commercial comes on. All right. And one of our popular couples that play in it, and he's talking about the mom is visiting and using up all his old spice. And guess who pops on screen? Patty LeBay, looking good and <laughs> with an attitude. Tell us how that opportunity came to you. Because I laughed, well, I laughed, have- I laughed. <laughs> okay, the, the opportunity came about a month ago. They called my my son Zori, who's my manager, and said, 
would your mom be interested in doing an Old Spice commercial? Uh-huh. And so I said, why not? I said, my father used it. All the men in my family use it. And for them to ask me to do an Old Spice commercial, uh, it just made my day. Mm-hmm. And we went out there and we did it about three weeks ago. And it was one of my fun moments with Dion and Gabby. You know, he's crazy and funny. And I, I have on his robe, but he has on my little robe with those little balls, and he looks stupid. You know, so I love the way he looked in this commercial. So I was happy to do it. Well, yes. you know, the funny part about it is that, that you know, you know, you're making me feel good because you've always made me feel good. And the fans, you've always made me made them feel good. But the little attitude and you squirt out the old spice, let them know it's empty. Was that was that, was, was that improv or they said this is what they want you to do? Did you put a little patty on it? A little pattyism? Well, a little patty stink. But <laughs> they wanted me to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and that's it. And I had some other lines that I said, but it hasn't been shown yet. Okay. But um, it was all it was scripted. I was good. I didn't go off script. I didn't. I didn't freestyle too much. No, just my attitude. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. is real. Well, well, the, the, well, you're naturally funny. Let's go and say that. But you've also done drama roles in your life. Is there oh, a yeah. uh, is there a, a favorite? or style of acting you prefer, the comedy or the drama? or And if so, which has been your favorite role that you played over the years? Well, I love, I love the drama. I don't consider myself a comedian or funny or anything like that. So playing uh, Queen Latifah's mother on Star and Brandy's mother, being a roughneck, <laughs> a ghetto mom, <laughs> I, I really like that. I love being a minister on Greenleaf, uh, so a pastor. And I, I love the roles that I've been getting, you know, mm-hmm. and like my favorite time was a different world playing oh, yes. Chipmunk's mother. Yes. Oh, uh, my gosh. Me and uh, Diane Carroll, when we were fighting over the turkey with the sausage or the giblets or whatever she wanted to put in. <laughs> Just some fun things on a different world that I love doing. Well, you know, that was a that was a groundbreaking role for for, for us as black people. You know, the Cosby show was mm-hmm. out there, by the way. But then when they brought this show yeah. that showed blackness and showed young black people and then brought the, the uh-huh. relatives of young black people coming into the world. Did you realize the impact of that show or your participation in that show when you did The Different World, Patty? I did. Meanwhile, Rashawn, my dog is barking. Can you hear him being ignorant? Yes, yes, now. <laughs> Do you hear him? I can't put him out. But, but uh, no, I, I realized the importance of that role. I, I realized the importance of that show, uh-huh. you know, showing black kids educated, you know, and it's just beautiful role. It was a beautiful time for me. You know, here's the fun part about you and how timeless you are. OK, so when Versus came up and it was you and Gladys on Versus. And you know, let's go and be real. People have a general tendency to believe that people at a certain age aren't relevant anymore. And so they have a general tendency not to <laughs> let them participate. Girl, when you and Gladys right. showed up in the middle of COVID now and showed up and showed out, yeah. talk about how that came about <laughs> and then talk about, because I'm going to tell you, it's in the middle of COVID. So there was some medical issues, concerns, and all those things. But it was important to okay. do this and you did it, and the world loved it. Talk to us. They sure did. It was um, a call from Gladys, actually, mm-hmm. uh, to say that um, 
they wanted she they wanted her to do verses and who would she like to do it with? So of course she said me because we're girlfriends. <laughs> and, and when people say we had a battle, it was never a battle. We right. sing the same type of music. Right. We're the same age. I'm 77. I think she's 76 or mm -hmm. whatever. And we bang together. We don't try to compete with each other. Mm -hmm. And it brought us. It was COVID, and we got double checked and everything before we sat down close mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. So it was safe. It was safe, great healthy fun to be able to sing after being at that time a year off from COVID, yes. no shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I kicked my shoes off. I pretended I was on stage. And it was just a ball. <laughs> we had well, fun. Well, fun. see, that's and the we part of it. doing other things together also. OGs. Oh, well, I'm just telling you that's something. That are. feels like a Las Vegas show. That's all I'm saying, you know. But, you know, that's just me. Okay. But, you, but I, I know your son's a fantastic manager. He's going to work out that deal. I, I just know that seeing... Seeing history being played out, being able to uh -huh. walk down memory lane, and but your smile. I want to. I want to just talk about that smile, the brilliance of the Patty Labelle smile, because there's a certain energy that radiates from that that makes me feel good. You're one of these people. If I'm in the hospital and I'm not doing good, and Patty Labelle came through that door, smiling, I, I think my I think my heart rate gonna get right, my blood pressure gonna go down. Talk about the just the essence of Patty Labelle. I don't know. I'm a very um, smiley person and a very happy person, a very blessed person because I'm still standing. And my sister died, you know, before they mm -hmm. turned 50. So I thought that would be my curse right. not to be here mm -hmm. at 77. So I'm here smiling and just lighting up my life right. and lighting some of the around me. You know, they say they get such joy from me mm -hmm. and I take that as the highest compliment. So I can I will continue to smile and bring good joy to everybody. And my little dog, he get me act up again. I hear him <laughs> trying to growl. But, no, but, making me but, but I, I want to wrap up stuff. talking about this fantastic cookbook. I want you to give me two of your favorites so I can go in there and cook it myself because you know I'm adventurous. So we're talking about the okay. uh, La Belle Cuisine. Oh, let me show recipe. you the cookbook. Okay, cool. This is the cover, right? Mm -hmm. I got me a picture here. And this is the now, see in the back, those uh -huh. are my two little grandbabies, Gia uh -huh. and Layla. Right. And so the recipes are banging fish. That's uh, any type of fish you like with crab meat, peppers, jalapeno peppers, onions, tomatoes, uh, wow. butter, and it's great. Then there's a quarantine chicken, and then there's a lobster and shrimp cake. That's at the um, back. I saw those. Yeah, those are new recipes, right? The new, new recipes, yeah. New recipes, new pictures. And a lot of fun. And if you get the book, you'll learn how to cook. I promise. Well, you have to learn how to get it. I would just tell you this, Patty. Some people tell me I'm really good at what I do. And for me to go into uh -huh. a cookbook and something I'm supposed to do really well, that's pecan pie, and go into that book and realize I have been doing it wrong. And because it was that simple, I am doing it right. I'm willing to admit this book right here. I'm telling everybody have fun times with it. Is you talking to a friend when you read this book? A friend who's sharing her love for life, her love for, for love of friendship. If you've seen it in the concert, yeah. well, you need to read about how she does it at home. And by the way, how's the line doing in your at Walmart? The, the, the food line. I'll be remiss if I didn't think about that. Say anything about that. There again, there again, there's a blessing. Uh, the pies, the cobblers, the macaroni, the greens, the corn with tomatoes, black eyed peas, uh, cornbread, two types of cornbread, biscuit and chicken. Uh, about 18 different desserts and things are still coming. I have more things to tell you when I can tell you, Rashawn, but okay. a lot of good is coming to my life. And don't, don't forget and that Oprah guy. 
Cause I got I too did, much. You'll find. I got I did <laughs> okra the other day. Now that's outstanding. That okra is off, off the chain there. But the one of the true blessings, okay. and this is the last thing, because I want to let you go. When that young man went online, social media, <laughs> and started singing about that patty yeah. pie, was that not the ultimate blessing to jumpstart your business? Oh. I uh, we were in London performing, and someone sent me that video. I said, who is this baby kid? <laughs> Wonderful voice and everything. And he tasted the pie and had that reaction when he tasted it. So it wasn't planned. It wasn't anything. And thank God at that time, the pies were doing great. But yes. when he did that, they did greater. Yes. You know, yes. so yes. he came to my house last week and cooked for our, our party. Uh-huh. Uh, he's he's a cook, he's a singer. He's a every man. He's James Wright. That's my baby. Well, I'm going to post it, by the way. Thank you, Patty, for taking the time to come on Money Making Conversation. Fantastic interview. And thank you for taking the time to talk to my fans, okay? Because my fans are your fans, all right? Be safe now. All right, you too. I love you. Thank you. Love you too. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, Whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to Midnight Mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. Or treat them to everyone's favorite activewear from top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when there are parched or windy conditions out there, you got to be extra careful with things like burning yard waste. After all, wildfires can start anywhere, even in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I recently interviewed Gina Yasare, a British comedian of Nigerian heritage. She is the co-creator, co-executive producer, writer, and actress on the hit CBS series, Bob Hart's Abashola. Gina is releasing her first book, a memoir, Cack Handed, which chronicles her odyssey to get to America and break into Hollywood. I wrote the book. Originally, it started off as just on Instagram, there was a hashtag throwback Thursday. 
sites where you yes. post old pictures. Mm -hmm. And I was posting old pictures and writing the story behind the picture. So I post a picture and write an elaborate post explaining the history behind the picture. And people were really interested in saying, oh my God, your story's so good. Why don't you write a book? So I started keeping those. And I wanted to talk about my history because people don't seem to realize that the UK started slavery. If you want to hear the full interview with Gina Yashare, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is one of my favorite people I've just recently came in contact with. I'm from Houston, Texas. He's based in Dallas, Texas. Justin L. Rhodes, or J. Rhodes. He's an award-winning music producer, raptivist, and creator from Dallas, Texas. He's worked with artists like Dr. Dre, Lecrae, The Game, Rick Ross, Slim Thug, Waka Flocka, and many more talented artists have been backed by J. Rhodes Productions. But his talent as a filmmaker is what we're going to talk about on this show and his career. Everything has perfectly intersected with his ability, his visionary skill in the visual world. In 2016, Rhodes and his business partner, Corey Williams, dove headfirst into the world of film with little to no experience. In less than five years, he's amassed quite the resume and his next film, It's a Wonderful Plight, is a hip-hop musical that attacks systematic racism through song in an authentic but lighthearted manner. The project went from a mere idea to being deemed one of the biggest movies of the summer by USA Today. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations for the very first time, Jay Rhodes. Man, thank you for having me, man. That just, that intro makes me feel like somebody. I really appreciate you. So shouts out to Dallas, shouts out to Houston, shouts out to Texas in general. Come on now. Yeah, you're the big Texas. Now, we big Texas boys talking <laughs> here got, now. Hopefully we got our little artist. beard, you know. I'm a little older, so I've lost <laughs> my hair, Jay Rhodes, okay? <laughs> I'm not I'm not projecting anything on you, but I lost my hair now. I hope that don't uh, happen to you. It's all good. It's all right. Hey, you, you did the right thing, though. Everybody has their day, and you, and you made it work for you. So uh, thank you for having me on your wonderful show, man. All those illustrious guests you have. And just, it means so much to me just because, like, the fact that a lot of people wait until somebody is already there to interview them. I, I'm glad that you see the upward trajectory and that you deem me worth, you know, your interview as we uh, are on our ascent into the entertainment world. So I really appreciate you and your team for having me. Cool. Hey, J. Rose, let's go and be real about you as a talent. You know, um... I've been pigeonholed. I've been told um, what I'm supposed to be doing. I worked there. I got my degrees in mathematics. I worked for IBM. All these, would you? And then I, then I decided to tell everybody I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Then I became <laughs> successful as a stand-up comedian, and I wanted to be a writer. People go, why, why, why do you want to write? Why, what's wrong with that? Then I was a successful sitcom writer, and I started managing Steve Harvey. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you want to manage him? And so along the way, people will pigeonhole you. Being a successful producer and you decided to embark in a visual world, even though you have music videos as a music producer, but the film world, why did people question you and how did you, I say, respond to those questions? Man, that's a great, that's a great statement, great question, because when you have success in something, well, would people deem success because people deem success as maybe monetary or if you're getting placements or if you're aligned with certain individuals and yes that's success to a point but the ultimate success is what makes you feel good and i love music but just being a music producer only and it's, it's, it's a sense of uh just waiting game and that you make beats no matter how dope they are it's a lot of politics but you're just waiting on artists and the connections to align yourself 
to make certain music. So you get the placement, it's out, and that's it. But my thing is, as much as I love music production, there's so much more to that. I had so much more talents than that. So success to me is really fulfilling and going after your dreams. So I uh, equated to, like, with the with the world of music production, it was a road that I was traveling. It was clear, but that road ended at some point. Now, for me to get where I wanted to be as a film director, I had to double back on that road, turn around. But at the end of the day, the film road was endless. So sometimes you have to do that and just believe in yourself. People love to pigeonhole people. Like, even if you look at Will Smith, he started as a rapper. Right. If, if he never would have talked to Quincy Jones and jumped into there, that was a whole nother world for him with being an actor and with being a content creator. So that's the same thing. Like, I say once you master something, you you do have to master something first. Don't get it twisted. But once you master that thing, you have the right. It's almost like graduate. Once you master a thing, you have the right to move over in another lane and master that thing. And then you can bring all those talents together. So like you said, that's what I do with film. So that's for everybody. Do as much as you can do, but just master each thing and then move on and do something else. But be whatever you want to be. It's never too late in life to say, hey, this is cool, but I want to do something else. Now, your company, uh, 1091 Pictures, mm-hmm. right? help us out with that name, 1091 Pictures. Help us out with that. Uh, ten- the distribution company that picked up our film. So, uh, you know, I'm with Vintage Rose Productions. That's my film and um, music company, et cetera. 1091 Pictures is the distribution company. They do a lot of great work, get a lot of uh, mm-hmm. content on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, right. some of your, mm-hmm. you know, your, your biggest streaming services. And they love the film. They wanted the film back in Black History Month. Right. But we were working out some other deals and we were like, hey, well, we may not be able to do Black History Month, but let's try to do something for Juneteenth. And you're from Texas, so you know, you know what Juneteenth means to us. So I, I kind of wanted that conversation to be going down around me. And so, yeah, 10, 1091 is our distribution company, and they, they're a very great partner. Well, you know, I always, get, I always get annoyed with this, you know, everybody's celebrating Juneteenth like they just found it last week. You know, Texas <laughs> boy, we've been selling Juneteenth for years. Days Man, off come work. on. You know, the Texas. nation's late. They late. Talking about they've been celebrating, you know, at their house, you know, amongst their family members. We in Texas, we've been celebrating. Hey, you got a day off from work. It's been doing yep. the real thing. Now, your your, your skill set, man. You know, when when I look at you, man, you're uh, you're a wonderful person. The movie uh, "It's a Wonderful Plight," which in my mind is a takeoff of uh, the famous "It's a Wonderful Life." Because you 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 go through a journey, you take a white character, and let's talk about this white character because uh, you know hip hop music introduced a lot of uh, white white um, fans to music that used the N-word, that delved mm. into black culture. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I had to go through the airport, and uh, I, could, I could see little white guys, kids with uh, with uh, headphones on, and they rapping the lyrics, and they said the N-word, low, of course, but they were just, mm-hmm. it was nothing for them. Some of the athletes in the NFL have gotten in trouble or in basketball because they've said lyrics on their social media lines because these are lyrics that they reference from music that they heard. So this, it was just a perfect inroad to develop in a storyline about a white character who is accepting the white culture, the black culture, but not living the white, the black experience, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly what that is. And we deal with that every day um, in the sense of everything like, 
everything that black people touch just blows up and it, and it becomes culture. Mm-hmm. Like you, even if you look at what basketball players do from Michael Jackson, LeBron James, um, Jay-Z, et cetera, like our culture is picked from and we can do something first and it can be deemed ghetto, uh, whatever. But right. then when white culture does it, then it becomes accepted and popular. It's just almost like gentrifying our style the same way they gentrify, you know, our neighborhoods. And so the whole thing is if you, if you love black culture so much, right. if we're so embedded and ingrained in the United States when it comes to entertainment, because even back in, um, back in the old days, you know, like uh, we could entertain, you know, white people, but we still couldn't sit at their tables, but, you know, we could entertain them. So it's almost the same thing. It's like, if we're so beautiful, if you love our culture so much, right. you love our songs, you love what we do, then you have to ingrain yourself in our struggle and why our music is like it is and why we have the rhythm that we have. That comes from a lot of struggle. That comes from a, a lot of lot of things. And, and it's not all struggle. Sometimes we're so disconnected from our history that we don't, you know, we forget that we were kings and queens because we never have lived that reality. But it is the truth. And it's just the fact that um, everyone in this country, man, they, they benefit from black culture. And I just wanted the story to show, to take someone like that, that you, you, you don't even know that just because you don't have a KKK hood on, or you're not waving a Confederate flag, that you have some, you know, some ingrained racial issues in you. And that's, those are the things that we want to attack because, you know, if you love our culture, you, we come with that, you know? Hey, Jay Rose, am I, am I talking to the modern day Spike Lee? Come on, man. My brother, I love, I love that. I will accept that, even though that's those the big shoes to fill. I think in 2021, with where I'm going and how, how like my thing is, I can make other type of films, but I just feel all of my films will they have they have racial undertones because I feel that everything in the world has those undertones, and I love Spike Lee. I love what he's contributed and contributing to the culture. So honestly, man, I will wear that. And I and I will I will really try to make good on that. But I'm here, and as long as God giving me breath, I'm gonna speak our stories in a real, true, right, true way. And I, I'm gonna speak truth to power. So uh, thank you for that. You you made my day with that comparison. Hey man, I'm telling you because there's humor. You 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 not only the music side, but the visual side that you're walking into the film side of it, and you self talk in this whole arena. So it's a lot of authentic and, and you know, you're doing things on film that people go, you're not supposed to do it that way. Well, that's the way I want to do it. You know, I want to shoot mm. it that way. And that brings out an element of, 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 of freshness. I want to say, yes. when I'm watching you talk and watching you, you participate and be a part of, because, you know, you know, you are on screen as well as behind the screen, you're directing, you're directing, but like they said, man, black man, make it white man, take it. amen man man. and um yeah i man you you know first of all not only this is a dope interview just because it's a dope interview but you know i've done so many of these but it's just the fact that i see you really are picking up on things that i've put in the film and it's cool when because people see things on the surface level but i really appreciate the fact that you kind of see the in-depth things that it's not traditional filming. It's not traditional camera angles, but the same way Spike Lee has that dolly effect and he brought something new to the game. I think with our camera angles and with our our cool, you know, unapologetic take on filming and and storytelling, that we do bring something uh, different to the industry and being self-taught, you know, has a lot to do with that. So I I appreciate you really seeing that because we we pride ourselves on being original and on being unique and telling our <laughs> stories in a different way, you know? 
Well, you know, uh, J. Rowe, I'm just laughing because as I as I interview you, I'm just going through different parts of the of the movie. And uh, before I even get in detail, tell everybody about the movie, and tell everybody why you made the movie. Second, let's make sure they separate responses about the movie and why you made the movie. And we talk okay. about the uh, white plight. Okay, so it's a wonderful, wonderful plight about the movie. It's mm-hmm. a movie. It's a hip hop musical. And it takes Scott, a character with uh, Joseph the Hotep, who's, you know, kind of like this woke spirit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like It's a Wonderful Life meets A Christmas Carol, but instead yes. of going through the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, we're taking the character through, you know, woke past, present, and future, like taking them through the uh, Atlantic slave trade, taking them through the civil rights movement and, you know, modern day gentrification, et cetera, just to enlighten. Because I think a lot of times people and white people are ignorant um, to these facts, you know? So basically about the film, let me start with, stay with about the film, but that, that's pretty much the gist. And at the end, the whole thing is what we're calling it is ally training to hip Scott to some of his biases and prejudices yes. that he may not even know, knew that he had in order to create an ally and in order to really make a better world. And the reason that I made it is because if I can start there, I think racism is a problem that black people didn't create, Right but we're always tasked with ridding ourselves of what can we do to end racism? What can we, we didn't create it. And I got that from uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. I, I, I hate, he's one of my favorite actors. I hope I'm not pronouncing his name wrong. And if I am, I need to get it right. But it's just that whole fact, like we didn't create it. So we're targeting, you know, in essence, the, the people and the ancestors who created it so that they can be tasked with knowing what they can do to help, you know, make, make this a better world. But at the same time, you know, we did make it, for, for we made it for us. We, we were unapologetic. We wanted to make something for us. Like, it was a lot of people like, hey, you know, I know this is an indie film, but, but if you want to get it here, you may need to do this to appease this certain group or appease this certain group. We didn't do that at all. We were like, hey, this is what we're going to make. They're going to either get with it or it's the right people going to get with it. And and if, the you know, people that don't get with it, it wasn't for them. I think Black people have the right to make films that are for them. Hollywood and white people don't have to, you know you know, tailor their stuff to, right. you know, for the masses. They just right. make it and you have to get with it. So it's fair for us to have those same type of films. And that's, it's a wonderful plight. Well, I'm going to tell you something. First of all, I apologize. I said white plight. It's a wonderful plight. It's the name of the movie. I'm interviewing Jay Rhodes, straight out of Dallas, Texas. And there's some funny moments in this movie throughout. I always tell people, sometimes you can deliver a message through humor, because my background is a comedian, <laughs> but truth comes out of humor because you're taking it you're getting it from somewhere i'm telling you you can't tell a joke the joke came from something you saw or something you experienced well in common you just bend it so when the information comes out it's funny now one of the at the very top of the movie the character says scott scott is the typical he's into the black culture his roommate said he loves the black culture but his roommate even questions him but he denies it so when he goes on this journey led by the character that Jay Rhodes plays, he starts to get insight on things that he are typically... Let me, let, me, let me slow everything down. When you watch CNN, CNN will make you believe that, or, or especially Fox News, they'll make you believe that all black people are welfare, all black people out there committing crimes, all black, only black people are in jail. That's the story they want to tell because it strikes fear and it can resonate with a certain audience that they want to watch their network especially on Fox News. And so your journey is tapping into somebody, a character that says he's pro-black, as you say, an ally. 
But as he goes through, and one of the great questions at the very top was gentrification. And he responds, and you said, and there's a long pause. This is what I'm talking about. Just doing stuff that he would do that nobody would tell him to do. It's a long pause. He go, man, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> Based on his response. That is so funny to me because that is so real. And so when, you, when you're developing these, these relationships with the actor on screen, talk about Scott's character because he is white in real life. What did yeah. he learn from the script and the journey that this movie put him on in real life? Well, in real life, the the funny thing, and I'm going to be a little short-witted, but it's funny that you asked that the more interviews we're having, the more it's getting unveiled, to be totally honest, and we're working that out. But in real life, he passed ally training. I mean, in, um, in the movie, he passed ally training, and we thought everything was good. But there were some situations before the film blew up that in real life, I, I, I think he failed ally training. Like, on our tour, we haven't been... Uh, as this movie is receiving so much success, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, the actor who, who plays Scott, he, uh, Brian, he hasn't been, you know, with us on a tour, et cetera, because there was a lot of things where, you know, I think it's, uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but there were some, there were some things we, we, where we had a, had a falling out because of some of the messaging when we knew what the messaging was going to be before, but as the film, you know, developed and as he really in real life knew what he was taking on before right. the success, of course, and how big it was going to be, right. it got a little scary for him. Mm -hmm. So to be totally honest, the film uh, actually was art imitating life because in the real world, uh, once it really came to like really... The whole thing about It's a Wonderful Plight is white people putting down their privileges and accepting the scars figuratively that our people have took literally. Yes. So there was artwork where, you know, just... And you, you're getting the exclusive because you deserve it. If I, There was artwork, initial artwork that we were going to put out that had, like, a, a, a white man. It was, it was graphic, but we ended up not going with it because it wasn't the tenor of the film, but we were experimenting. And it was a white man with slashes on his back spelled out It's a Wonderful Plight. And it wasn't to be uh, the whole point of it, even though it was graphic, was like, if you want to be an ally, this is the stuff that you have to endure. You have to take the figurative lashes of slavery and the figurative lashes that our ancestors received. He was very upset and hurt by the artwork. And it was more like, hey, you know, it's just expression. And secondly, even if you were upset, we can talk about it. Thirdly, the whole point is that you passed ally training in a film. But it's also like in the real world, if you're so upset by these figurative lashes of some artwork that nobody has not even yet seen, right. then how do you think that me and my ancestors feel about the literal of uh, lashes that we have gotten, even to this day, with getting, you know, uh, unlawfully killed by police brutality right. and uh, unfairly uh, prisoned at a, a more alarming rates? So that's a great question, and I can go all day on that. Um, God bless him as an actor. Thank, uh, I'm very thankful for him contributing his skill set to this film. But it's still, it, I think we're all still healing from a lot of things that this that this film has brought about when we were having to face real truths. Well, you know, I, as, as you said, Jay Rhodes, I'm into this movie. Okay, I'm into who you are, and that's why the questions in my background allows me to ask the question I asked about the actor. Because mm -hmm. it's, it's it's different when you get into the moment. You you can listen to a music, you can walk away. He's he's mm -hmm. he's he's um constructed a work of art. Like I was talking to my wife, and she was saying we always notice how many interracial couples are more on TV commercials now. You look at TV yeah. commercials. Remember just five years ago when they got mad when on the Cheerios when the little white kid woke up a 
the little kid woke up, the dad and the mom was white. No, they were mad at that mm-hmm. five years ago. Now you can't turn on TV and not see interracial opportunities <laughs> or relationships, laying in bed, selling mattresses, buying cars, eating hamburgers together, because that's where we're at. And so yeah. let's go back to 2020. And this was the reality of black and white, the George Floyd situation. When that mm. happened, I could tell you I got a number of calls from white people people who I do business with, people who call me their friends, who were stunned. And that's what your character is in this A Wonderful Plight. He's stunned mm-hmm. because he thought he understood Black culture through the music. He thought mm-hmm. he understood the pain. He thought he understood the racism. And that's the beauty of your movie, is that you're telling people you have to experience it. If you want to know how it feels to live in the hood, come live in the hood. You want to have the spirit, but unless you change your skin color, you will never truly understand the burden that we carry. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, J. Rose. That's really powerful. Man, it, it is. And um, it's it's a blessing because this is the beginning of just a strong ascent into this in this realm, just the way the film has gone worldwide. So it feels good to, you know, hear from people like you that understand why I did it and appreciate why I did it and appreciate the messaging and get it. You know what I mean? It's like, and people can get it on a lot of different levels. Like, it's some people that get it on a first-tier level. Like, the music is great, and he's talking about certain things, but it's people like you that get it on all the different layers, and that's even more rewarding. But I'm happy that we got to put this work of art out into the world, because if you think about any revolution that has started and any culture that has changed, it has come from the arts. You know, the arts has spearheaded that. So it's like, I think in this day and age, they fooled us to think that slavery was gone and, 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 and things were gone, but they still there. They're just, you know, uh, hidden. I think, you know, some administrations that helped it come out more in the forefront, but art like this, where people appreciate and they get, it's really going to uh, help move the culture and really uh, help spark a conversation. And not just the conversation, because I think I'm not opposed to marching. I'm not opposed to conversations, but I'm just, my thing is I'm opposed to going on a hamster wheel and a merry-go-round. Right. It's time for things to really change. It's time for us to really get what we want. As much as I love Juneteenth, I'm not trying to go on a tangent, but now I'm just speaking from the heart. As much as Juneteenth is close to me, we didn't, it's cool that it's a national holiday. That's not what we asked for. We'll take it. We'll take the day off, but we asking for reparations. We asking for fair treatment and we're, we're just asking to be equal. And, and I, they lucky, like, man, I forget this video that I saw, but they lucky that we're just asking for equality and not revenge in essence. You know what I'm saying? So not to just go too hard or too off the tangent, it's time for real changes and in our art, in our raptivism and in everything we do, we need to be expressing that. So I, I'm just so happy that this music is getting, I mean, that this this movie is getting the life shed on it that it should. Well, you know, the thing about it, and thank you for those comments, and uh, I, I echo the sentiment of what you're saying. You know, it's like, you know, you can, we're so humble because we don't want to get pushed in the face or kicked in the face by asking for too much of what we rightfully deserve. Because guess what? Mm. We're already getting kicked, and we ain't, we're not even asking, okay? So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you start to ask, what happens then? Can I go in my home? Is somebody waiting to take me out? Because I want to make a little noise about what I deserve. But in music, music is a beautiful thing. And that's that's your base. That's where you your, your your fame grew as a producer. But music is always given activists or civil rights leaders or black or movements a voice. And, and music has some ways, you know, when you go in the 60s and then when disco came out, all activism music died. They ain't had nothing <laughs> to say. What brought back activism was basically rap music, okay? Mm-hmm. And it brought it back. It brought it back with forced. 
It's so it is screamed the plight of the ghetto. This is how we live. This is what's happening to us. This is how police treating us. And everybody and they push back on that. And now when I see what you're doing now with film, that's why I, I, that's why I have to be complimentary of you. You've just taken a gift that you you have you have you've honed in music and listened and lived. Now you're putting it on the screen, man. That's beautiful work, brother. You cannot stop J. Rhodes. You can this man. is just start of what you are meant to do. Music will always be your base. I'm telling you something. I'm not talking about the music, but the music is cold. Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. And here's the beauty of his music. He's teaching you. He's educating you with the music. I'm like, man, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm older than you, so I got I got to play stuff back a couple of times, Jay. They hear, they get the lyrics right. You know what I'm saying? But man, you cold soldier, brother. You're a cold soldier. Thank you, man. my brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. That means everything. And speaking of the music, um, most of the music was made first before we wrote the script. Mm -hmm. Like that's what happened. So we built the script around the music, and that's why the music is the center. But that's why it all connects together. But I did the song about uh, Rest His Soul, God Bless the Dead, uh, both of Jean. I wrote that one on the spot uh, because we weren't even going to do a song about it, but we wanted to pay pop proper and uh, respectful tribute to uh, his situation, his mm -hmm. family. We didn't want to make it uh, trauma porn, but we did want to uh, talk about the situation. And uh, like we, we wrote it, or I wrote it like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but in a very, you know, because it's, it's, it's that just justice position and um kind of like that contradiction of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of song, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we're talking, we're rapping in a light-hearted manner about something so serious and so vile, just being in your home, minding your business, and becoming a criminal and getting killed. And so I say that to say the music is, uh, most of it was wrote before the film. Some things were created after, but even some of the other artists that contributed their music from uh, Saba the Goddess to Vandale Andrew, um, and my boy Claiborne mixed a lot of the joints. Just whoever I'm missing, I apologize. Blame it on my uh, mind, not my heart. But <laughs> it all it made a great musical palette, and I love it because. And, and to end in that statement, I'm not even a big fan of traditional musicals. You know, uh, I like them; they okay. But I didn't want this to come off corny or musically. I wanted to be more of a film that uh, was assisted by music. And I'm gonna be making uh, part two. And I think that's the same formula that I'm going to do because it's a lot of people that aren't even big fans of musicals that right. really love this. And I think it's because the music is so hard and so, you know, real. And, and it's just like like a hip-hop musical. And that's why I titled it that. But it's like, uh, you know, man, um, it's just beautiful music. You know, I'm talking to Jay Rhodes. His movie, It's a Wonderful Plight, is a hip-hop musical that attacks systematic racism through song in an authentic but lighthearted manner. And it's funny, and it's, it's funny, it's dramatic, it's um, a, a statement killer, it, it's, a, it's a journey through history. The project went from a mere idea of being deemed, now it's being deemed one of the biggest movies of the summer by USA Today. But let's talk about Jay Rhodes. One Stop Shop is a director, editor, sound design, and film score. This allows his vision to impeccably come to us. Here's a quote, I'm going to reshape his mission is to tell his story and the story of our people in a unique, creative, forward-thinking, and empowering way. That's Jay Rhodes. You are a blessing, my friend. You are a gifted brother. Your talents, please keep me in the loop with you, man. I want to promote and hype anything you do. And if you, if, if, if something comes out, Jay Rhodes, and I don't know about it, 
240 miles separates Houston from Dallas. I live in Atlanta. <laughs> you gonna come up 45? I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Just let you know. I know how far you are from Houston. I definitely can get down there on Delta Airlines from Atlanta, Georgia, because you're special. Well, you ain't gonna have to worry about that. You ain't gonna have to worry about Atlanta. You're, like, you're gonna, anything that I do, you're gonna be tapped in with. Um, I really appreciate you and thank you for having me, man. Again, man, uh, you know, Amazon Prime, I, I, I'm watching that tonight, checking it out with my family, my daughter. She's, she's, she's in college. She needs to see this. Everybody needs to see this. But more importantly, we need to find out who our allies are and see if we mm. can put them to work. Put them to the test. Put it to the test. Just because uh, you listen to our music, that ain't it. We got to put them to the test. I love it, man. Thank you, Jay Rose, for coming on Money Making Conversation. Thank you for having me. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I spoke with Sean Robinson, the Emmy Award winning journalist and executive producer, who is a proud graduate of Spelman College and HBCU in Atlanta, Georgia. We discussed how Spelman College shaped her life. You know, Spelman gave me an appreciation, a real appreciation for sisterhood. And also when you empower a girl, she can change the world. I would not trade my education at Spelman for anything in the world. It just taught us that, you know, first of all, it taught us the value of education and gave us a real connection about our ancestry and where we came from and the fact that it was up to us to help change the world for the better for all these little black girls coming after us. If you want to hear this full interview with Sean Robinson, visit moneymakingconversations.com. Keep winning. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Victor Dura Jr. He is the president and executive director of BrubMentorship.org. Victor is a nonprofit leader, a nonprofit leader, and has been recognized on numerous occasions for his community development work. Victor recently received a 2021 
Community Leadership Award from Atlanta Entertainment Basketball League, and Slam Magazine for his work with athletes and mentoring. He is currently attending Clemson University and plans to receive his master's in public administration and serves on the board for Habitat for Humanity. Victor has been recognized three consecutive years as a top professional in the nonprofit field by the Spartanburg at South Carolina. Just let everybody know, we're going to talk to a South Carolina boy here, Chamber of Commerce. Please welcome the president and executive director of BRUH, that's B-R-U-H, B-R-U-H, mentorship.org, Victor Dura, Jr. My brother, how you doing? I'm doing good, brother, and I'm I'm glad to be here today. Cool. I okay. hope you're well. I'm doing well, man. You know, uh, just get out the box. You know, we both fraternity men. Man, <laughs> we are both fraternity men, okay? Just putting it out like that. But he just happens to be a member of Cap Alpha that's all right. That's all right. I still love him. All the cubes still love him. I love him. I'm an old dog. I love this young noob. But I just want to get that out because... 1911 love. 1911 love, baby. But you, you know, the thing about it, the reason I wanted to bring that to the top, because you know the basis of all black Greek fraternity is about community, is about uplift, is about brotherhood. And that is why they're, they're found, and plus education and mentorship. And so a lot of people, it gets lost to a lot of people the core basis of what black fraternities are like, because they hear about partying, they hear about stepping, they hear about all those things, walking in line of your yard, you know, stuff like that, looking tough, things like that. Tell us about your experience and the values that have been brought to you, positive values, because a lot of negative things, you're always about the lawsuits or a bad pledge situation that, that didn't go right for students, which we don't, that we don't agree upon, that we don't acknowledge that something that should happen in any black or white fraternity or sorority. But it is a lot of positive things that come out of joining an organization like the Kappa Alpha Psi, as is like Omega Psi Phi. But talk about your Kappa Alpha Psi experience that you had. I'm assuming it's at the University of South Carolina? University of South Carolina, upstate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever, man. Stop pointing and telling <laughs> about your experience. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll tell you, um, my first um, deep, um, an enriching experience uh, with community service came um, from activities with Cap Alpha Psi. Uh, I served as the um, community service chairman, also known as the God Right chairman, uh, for three and a half years while mm-hmm. I was in college. Mm-hmm. And um, to be honest with you, when you hear Bruh, it stands for Brothers Restoring Urban Hope Incorporated. And when we started Brothers Restoring Urban Hope 16 years ago, it was with our fraternity brothers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on my campus, you know what I mean? We were known as the bros. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we started out um, really coming together and providing mentoring opportunities for our campus uh, through the fraternity. And um, we did it with bros. Uh, when you think about it, and um, and even other fraternities, uh, we do a lot of stuff with Omega Psi Phi. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were founded on that principle: achievement in every field of human endeavor. Yes, sir. And you're right; that does get lost um, when you think about fraternities. But that's where I found my passion. Right. Um, so um, hats off to Cap Alpha Psi and um, all the brothers. Um, that, that are out there serving. Yeah. You know, like I tell, I tell all my friends, you know, I tell her that when I pledged Omega Sci-Fi, it directed me. It gave me vision. It, it really, um, you know, we always have a fire inside of us, Victor, a fire to just, first of all, uh, find ourselves. 
And when you're around mm-hmm. other bros, which I really relate to, because you know, you know, that's the that's that word been out a long time. And the fact that you guys have turned it into BRUH bruh is guided by the principle that all students, regardless of socioeconomic status, family dynamics, nationality, or past failures, deserve a chance at a bright future. That's what bruh represents. And you guys have built it out into an organization that's powerful. And like when I pledge, you know, I would give away government cheese, I would give away doing parties, you know, to give money to local local community organizations and because that's what I was supposed to do. Now, but that doesn't mean that people see it that way. See, they see mm-hmm. it as a challenge. But I look at your resume, Victor, I don't see giving back as a challenge to you. Talk about your personality, my man. Man, um, I, I've always um, have been in fortunate situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up um, in a single parent home um, I have uh, two brothers, one older, one younger, um, all who pledged um, Cap Alpha Psi. Um, I actually pledged my younger brother um, mm-hmm. through Cap Alpha Psi. Um, but I understand uh, from, from a long time ago that um, where I grew up at, um, things could have turned left real fast. Yes. And had I not had mentors and uh, folks in my life, um, such as my, my basketball coaches, um, my pastor, um, uh, my, my, my real good friends, um, that were kind of pointing us in the right direction of, um, of doing more than just graduating high school and staying in the local town and and just doing whatever. Um, I understood early on that I had a responsibility once I got to a place, um, of, of some type of success to, to reach back and pour into my community. And I've always just had that about me. Um, and it, and it's, and it's, and it's morphed into a passion. So when I go to work, um, it's not work. Um, this is, this is life. You know what I mean? This is, this is easy. Every day is an adventure mm-hmm. when I wake up, um, to, to serve. And that's in a community capacity right. in the church right. and in the schools. Okay, cool. Now, when I when I looked at the mission, you know, because it's so much, it continued. Well, one thing I liked about everything I read, it, it was like a continual thought. You know, you never didn't bro- you didn't break mission. In other words, the mission is restoring the urban community through group mentorship, which goes back to our fraternity talk, leadership training, yep. which we all knew. Hey, man, you learned leadership in the fraternity. You learned it. You know, like like I said, I, I'm, I'm not turning this into a pro-fraternity, but I got to go with what made us, man. What made, what made us be able to have these conversations as a reality that men came into our life who were strangers. And I'm not saying they did all the right things. I'm, don't get me wrong. Some of them were stupid, okay? You know what I'm talking about, Victor. Some of them were stupid. But in the end, when you crossed and you became, when you was able to define yourself as a man, Victor, and defining yourself and your other brother's listen to you and say, hey, man, we have a bigger calling or a bigger cause. And that's where you also, in your mission statement, you talk about spiritual guidance. And that's the last thing you say in your mission statement. Why is that so important? Man, um, even though it's mentioned last, it's the most important piece um, of Brothers Restoring Urban Hope. When you think about hope, you think about the spirit of the man. Mm-hmm. And you gotta have a, a strong spirit. You gotta have a fighting spirit. You have to have a positive spirit. Um, you have to have a, uh, in, in my case, a spirit of God. 
mm-hmm. um, in order to have hope in this world that we live in. Um, so as we talk about building up the man um, or or the female, because we serve females too, when you when you talk about building them up um, to teach them leadership skills, um, to to teach them um, or or try and mentor them, right? You 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 have to deal with the spirit of that person too, and that's that's their health, um, that's their mental spirit, that's their um, you know their spirituality. Um, it, it's everything that makes up that person. So we have to deal with that also, especially our young black uh, African-American brothers and sisters. We really have to deal with the spirit before we even start talking about restoring hope. And, you know, Victor, when I when I look at you, you know, first of all, I'm proud of you. OK, I'm proud because you, you're younger than me. I always tell people my path is to make your path easier. And that's what you're doing for people in your mentorship campaigns, male and female. And you know, being recognized for your community development work, you know, you're on the board of Habitat for Humanity. How does that, um, you know, do you have time for anything, brother? That's what I'm saying. You know, you have time. <laughs> you know, because I'm just telling you, I left out a lot of stuff. Okay, I just went through and say, okay, this is recognizable. You are a busy man, and your service, Victor, is to the community. And that, mm. and I go back to that because that gets lost because. When I grew up, you know, there were people who I grew up in the hood, with Fifth Ward, Texas, and we moved to a better hood. You know, you know, it was just so much money to get you out of the original hood. But all along the right. way, there were teachers who kept me right. You know, told me, "Hey, mm-hmm. hey, you, 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 unique. You have unique skills." Who were the people who kept you focused early on? You know, like because I know I can tell you for I can tell you my sixth grade teacher. Stopped me in the hallway. I can remember that very clearly. I can remember my eighth grade teacher always used to just pour into me knowledge. I can remember my band instructor, you know, uh, Mr. King. I can remember Miss Trailer, who was right. my biology teacher. Miss Miss Nelson, who was my math teacher. And I hated math. And my degree in college, math. Okay, and so so these people <laughs> poured into me. And now you pouring into the community. Who poured into you, Victor? Mm-hmm. Um, I had three uh, phases in life where I can uh, point back to that were very impactful. Um, It was my basketball um, career when I was in high school, um, getting ready to go to college and get my first scholarship playing basketball. Um, I had a a coach that that really, really showed tough love. Um, He didn't let me off the hook for anything. His name is Coach Hal McManus. Um, and I still remember vividly the first camp, um, that he put me out of, um, because I had some disciplinary issues Mm -hmm. and, but, but what, but what, but what he did was put his foot down. And now I look back on it. He was teaching me a lesson of discipline. And when I was at home waiting for everybody else to come back from camp, all I kept rewinding back in my mind was, man, I'm missing out on an opportunity. And he didn't give up on me. You know what I mean? They came back. They checked up on me once. Everybody got back, but I learned my lesson early. Um, I had another mentor. His name is Jermaine Green. He's actually a bro of yours. Mm -hmm. Um, He's he's an Omega. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, one of the guys in the neighborhood that actually um, graduated with honors and went off to college. So that was somebody that we we're able to look at and right. see like, wow, he did it. Mm-hmm. And he took me under his wing and he told me uh, 
a long time ago. He told me, and we still had this conversation to this day. He said, you always had that leadership right. um, quality. And he said, it's up to you, you know, how far you go. And I just remember him taking us to church and, you know, really showing us what college life was like on his campus. Mm-hmm. And then third, and then that third phase was in my work field, which was one of the most important phases that I went through. I worked in corporate um, for a little bit, about eight and a half years. Right. But I met two young, I met two brothers. Um, one of them is your fraternity brother, and um, and another one um, is 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 in management still with the same company. Mm-hmm. But they always would tell me, "Don't ever, ever, ever put your hope in man. Mm-hmm. Don't you ever do it, especially mm-hmm. in this arena." And and they taught me how to play the game. They taught me how to speak the language. They taught me how to not be so. Uh, caught up in my feelings, right. uh, per se, with mm-hmm. certain things that were going on in the workplace, um, but to always outthink um, <laughs> your oppressor. Right. And those kinds of things right there help me maneuver in the space that I'm in now as far as relationship building, working right. in mm-hmm. um, the professional setting, and also giving that knowledge back to some of our youth um, that are headed into college and or graduating um, college. So as I think about those three phases, those are f- five people that I can say would be on a shadow of a doubt. I still stay in touch with to this day to add a, a, a major impact on my life. Cool. I'm talking to Victor Dura Jr. Uh, you know, he's the president and executive director of broadmentorship.org. Now I'm kind of confused now about the brother. I got to be real honest about this. He just mentioned two Omega men that were valuable in his life. That pointed him in the right direction. But obviously, he came here. Obviously, he was directed by his older brother who told him, Newport died. Newport died. He became a new. I'm trying to figure that out. I just had to bring that out. How he going to mention two Omega Men? It's another Omega Man. Got to give you credit there. Two Omega Men kept me on the right track. But man, that's important. That's why that's why it's so beautiful for you to say that because at the beginning of our interview, I was just talking about the role that fraternal men play in the community that we don't get credit for. Not that we're looking for credit. Don't get me wrong. But there's so many, it's like HBCUs get that, don't get respect for the education that they provide and the people that they have working in this country and just changing the conference of the country. Now, education still is important to you. Now, you went to the University of South Carolina. Is that the Gamecocks? That's the Gamecocks. Okay, cool. I'm trying to figure out, see, I got to listen to you, Brickter. Now you over at Clemson. How you doing all this, man? How you get help from the brothers of Omega Sci-Fi? You go to the University of South Carolina. Now you're over at Clemson University. You all over the place, Victor. Talk to me, man. What's going on with you, baby? Um, so, so, at, so at USC um, Upstate, um, which is uh, an extension of USC, but it's here in my hometown in Spartanburg. Absolutely. Um, was that that's where I got my um nonprofit administration and management degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Um that's how I got into the field um that I'm am in today. Mm-hmm. And with Clemson, um they have an excellent um a, uh, master uh, MPA program that focuses on nonprofit um work. And so it was just a, a good match um for for the skill set that I'm looking for. 
um, as far as nonprofit work goes and the administrative space. Now, now, why do you have to go further with the academic training? One would say, hey, man, you, right. got, you got all these, you got, you get an award for what you're right. accomplishing. You know, you, you know, you, you're fluent, you're articulate, you have a, you know where you're going with your life. Why does one right. need to continue education in this platform? Right. Um, so when you think about nonprofit work, um, I know a lot of people think about the services. Yes, sir. Um, a lot of people think about, um, you know, the the volunteers. Um, a lot of people think about um, the ways that different nonprofits affect people's life. Um, but um, when you talk uh, to a lot of nonprofit professionals in the administration um, space, um, you'll hear um, lingo such as grant writing, um, capacity mm -hmm. building. Um, you'll hear um, lingo such as, um, you know, fundraising, endowments, um, a lot of uh, backhouse administrative work um, that, that comes with the different IRS um, um, stipulations yes. and things on raising money. And that's, those are our, our, our specialties um, and a skill set. Um, that a lot of our African-American um, nonprofit professionals, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's across the board um, from an equity um, standpoint, we don't have a lot of those um, right. skills. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of good works. Um, we have a lot of great programs. Right. And we run a lot of good programs. Um, but when you look at the fundraising and uh, the amount of money that is out there, you really have to know your stuff. Um, you really have to understand what you're getting into um, when you're trying to raise, you know, uh, two, three million dollars yes, a sir. year, which is ultimately uh, my goal um, mm -hmm. for our nonprofit. So I just want to be ahead of the game, um, especially um, in the movement that we're in right now, mm -hmm. um, the, the post-COVID um, slash Black Lives Matter movement where they're looking for African-American all-ran organizations that have their stuff together. And we just want to make sure that we're in a, in a place and in a space where we're comfortable when you say, hey, Vic, um, I, I got a million dollars I want to give to you. Mm -hmm. Can you, do you have the capacity? Do you have the knowledge base? Right, do right. you have the skill set to even manage that? Mm -hmm. um, so that's what um, I've dedicated um, my education towards um, really understanding the space and, mm -hmm. and being a master of my fate and a captain of my soul. Ooh, Invictus. Oh, <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, man. <laughs> Big brother, anything I can do for you today, sir? Big brother, sir. Big brother, sir. Come on now. <laughs> you can have me on back online in a minute before I'm going to be a lamp. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm glad you enjoyed this interview, man, because I appreciate your youth, your spirit. We talked about the mission of broadmentorship.org. Now, the vision, you know, the vision is through uh, your mentoring program. You desire to make personal connections that will inspire those in the urban communities to discover who they are. That's important because sometimes I know, you know, I, all I can see, man, what I saw on TV or what happened down the street. And sometimes what happened down the street wasn't always what I wanted to be, but I didn't have an option to see what I could be. And so that means developing their strengths and overcome their challenges. Like you said, like I'm, like I'm talking about. And I'm not telling anybody, look, man, 
I didn't come from no, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't in a gang. I didn't have to deal with drugs on the corner. I'm not saying that, but I'd have to deal, I deal, I dealt with a situation that led to a lot of unsafe situations. And that's what we're talking about. Wow. We're talking about where, you know, we had to be on the porch before the light went out. Okay. That was the demand. Right. And, and when I look at what you're doing, which deals with just young girls and boys, elementary to middle school. Now that's a, that has always been considered a very important era to capture young minds, elementary to middle school, because they've always said that once they get in high school, sometimes that spirit can be lost, and their direction of failure has been so defined that it cannot be turned around. Not saying it's impossible. But if you can catch them early, you can catch a larger number to keep them straight. Am I right in my definition of that, sir? Right. And I, I, I do want to, um, to, to say that our main focus is on the 17 through 24-year-olds. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. How, however, however, to your point, we do have a lot of partnerships within the community. Yes, sir. A lot of our programmatic partnerships and community partnerships are with that age range that you talked about. Mm-hmm. And you are absolutely right. Um, they say that if you want to teach a person a different language, um, you can't do it <laughs> when they turn 15, 16 and up. And you're definitely not going to do it when they get older. Mm-hmm. If you want to teach a person a different language, you teach them when they're a baby all mm-hmm. the way up because it's easier to retain. It's easier to mold the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's easier uh, to, to, as they say, it's, it's easier um, to, to, to build up a kid than break a man. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. And... And, and, and yes, you have to capture them at that early age. Um, but for Brothers Restoring Urban Hope, what we saw, because we work in an area where there are thousands, I mean, when I say thousands, there are, there are thousands of youth that are being served by the Boys and Girls Clubs, the Big Brothers Big Sisters, and the Boy Scouts of America. And all of them fit that age range that we just talked about, that younger age range, where Brothers Restoring Urban Hope found an opportunity. And we said we wanted to fill the space of is what happens when those kids age out of that program at 17 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what happens. We start to treat them like adults. Mm-hmm. We start to put them in an adult system. We, we, we expect them to make adult decisions. Mm-hmm. Those cute little babies that you were training up when they were 16 and you loved them when they were 16, now society hates them. Now that they got a little beard and a little mustache, mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a little spot, mm-hmm. you know, that they stay in or, you know, got their license or whatever the case may be. But that's one of the most pivotal times for my area because what happens is they fall into that economic, that racial equity, economic mobility um, uh, cycle. Right. And what I mean by that is that that's where those numbers start popping up. Homelessness, mm-hmm. under underpaid, um, un, 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 uh, <laughs> not being able to get a job or get into school. That, that, those are our 17 through 24-year-olds mm-hmm. that you're seeing popping up in that racial equity report. Mm-hmm. And those are the folks that we are really trying to capture and sit in the gap for them. Um, and I'm pretty sure you'll get to me talking about the different services we offer them. 
But that's that's the 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 main focus of Brothers Restoring Urban Hope. Because right. that's where a lot of hope is lost. Yeah, I want to between that seventeen through twenty-four right. year old. I want to talk because I know we're getting close to the end. I want to say two things, and then I want you to talk about your services. Uh, if you don't, when you get to that seventeen, you've been rejected. You've been told, "I got you." You've been said, "Hey, man, I'll be right back. Don't come back." You've been disenfranchised as a as a young man. You've been discouraged. You've been emotionally and maybe physically kicked to the curb. And I know this for a fact. You have to make a commitment to these boys or young men. Because they boys. They're really boys. Because they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't get to live a normal life where they could cry, where they could hug, where they can see failure and somebody pick their spirit back up and give them hope to make it it's all right to make a mistake. And so when I when I and so what I know the journey that you're dealing with, man, is emotionally so challenging because you can't have a day off, Victor. Not with these boys. You can't. Because that day you have off is the day could be the worst day of life for the kid that you had off for. And I I, I remember, man, that uh, I remember when I first went into a program like that in Houston, Texas. And uh, right. I came in, I spoke. Them boys didn't say nothing. They looked at me and go, okay, thank you. I said, what's, what's the problem? Well, you know, I know you, you, you feel good about yourself. I hope so. Because they come in here all the time, do these little speeches like you do, and don't come back. Then I realized right there, when that little kid said, and he wasn't a little kid, he's like 6'3", 240. Right. He, these ain't little, little kids, but like you said, they've, uh, they've, uh, they've transcended into manhood, and people start treating them like men, but they have the development of a child. Life right. skills. How to communicate. What's my next decision? So they're susceptible to making mistakes they can't recover from. That's what you're dealing with every day in that 17 to 24 age group. What gets you going, man, Victor? Because it can be so frustrating, brother. It can be so breaking, emotionally breaking for you. And then you have these services. Close us out by talking about this, man. I'm so proud of you to spend the time to tell me about your story, but especially the broadmentorship.org story, which is available. You can go there. Is uh, Go to that website. It's available on that website because I broadcast on, on all these HBCU schools, and and my whole thing is to allow people to understand U.S. value. You know, you're in the heart of HBCU, all this area. So, but, man, speak your piece, man, so we can get out of here, man. Man, absolutely. Um, you spoke on something a little earlier, and you said, um, you have to, you know, understand your why and you have to know your why and who you are. And it, it's it, it's one of those situations where I, I meet with a lot of youth all the time and through different partnerships, whether it be DJJ, DSS, um, the alternative schools, right. um, the regular schools, the colleges, and, you know, we meet folks who just got out of prison all the way to folks who are uh, to kids who are about to go to law school. So it's an array of kids. But one thing that I, I've always not understood and we're still trying to understand this is when you ask a kid why mm-hmm. and what's your why, they put their head down and they're thinking about it and a lot of times... Eight times out of ten, or eight eight kids out of ten, they can't tell you their why. Mm-hmm. They don't understand their purpose. Mm-hmm. And 
what we want to do through our services, because we don't do this just Victor and my staff of six. We have volunteers that range from three to 400 volunteers throughout the community that we can call on at any given time mm -hmm. to give a kid what they need at that time. And we do group mentoring. So it's not one-to-one -one mentoring. Uh, so when we show up, we show up in huge numbers. Uh, for instance, at our summit program with Spartanburg Methodist College, um, we have a program that really caters towards those first-generational college students that um, have either about to flunk out the first semester of college and or on the brink of dropping out of college. And we showed up with, you know, 40 or 50 of our first generational college volunteers to really pour into those youth. We went over study habits. Um, we go over relationship building with your uh, professor, understanding how to sit up at the front, not the back, um, understanding where your resources and pockets of folks are on campus that can actually assist you with your tutoring needs or if you have an issue with a computer and you don't have a computer, who you need to go to to get that computer. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, time management skills, how to study and focus because studying in high school and studying in college are two totally different things. Um, so that, that's just one type of partnership that we have. But what I But it takes a community and we really live by that it takes a village mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we have partnerships with uh, Cap Alpha Psi. We have partnerships with the United Way. We have spark partnerships with the Spartanburg Academic Movement. Folks that really come in with us and become bros, become brothers restoring urban hope or sisters restoring urban hope. Mm -hmm. And we do it as a community. But one of our main projects that we have going on right now is called Connected Scholars. And that is for our college students, because a lot of times when we talk about mentoring, a lot of people automatically assume that you're talking about a kid that's about to go to jail, a right. high school dropout, mm -hmm. or X, Y, and Z. We often forget about those leaders, those young men and women that'll be leading our next generation. They need mentorship too. Yes. And we need to pour into them even more during these times. Mm -hmm. Churches, folks aren't going back to church anymore. Everything is on social media. Yes, sir. The world is as racist as ever. Mm -hmm. We've got to train our leaders. You know, we got to be prepared for succession. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in a Connected Scholars program um, that, that are really training up our, our next leaders um, and, and really helping them understand what social capital looks like, right. um, connecting them with different mentors in their career fields or in their leadership fields and really pouring into them on a, one, on a, on a group mentoring basis and, and teaching them how to operate in these spaces that they're going to encounter once they graduate high school and college and be comfortable in those spaces and be confident. Um, so we're excited about this program and, um, man, um, I'm excited to be here today. So I thank you for, for having us. Well, I would like to say, man, keep seeing it through.
And you know what I mean by that, okay? Victor, want to thank Absolutely. you. Want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation, man. You come on anytime, man. I love your spirit, and uh, and again, I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. I know you're in Spartanburg. Ever come up in this area? Please make sure you come by the building so we can chop it up. All right. Well, let me just say this. I'd love to um, invite you out. My um, my cousin, he runs the Atlanta Entertainment Basketball League, the okay. NBA Summer League Basketball okay. out there, and we're bringing some kids up. Um, I'd love for you and your staff and crew to come out, meet us, and sit courtside sometime with us. Absolutely. You just tell the date to my staff, and we'll be there, my man. And then come, bro, come, on, right. by the, come on by the building, brother. I'll make some desserts for you. That's what I do. That's what I do. All right, brother. All right. All right I'll there, man. Other, other, <laughs> hey, man, you, you, you are an amazing new, okay? <laughs> I love you, man. Stay strong, Victor. Appreciate it. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. I sat down with the legendary actor Bill Duke. He is the founder of Duke Media Foundation and Unite Network. He was on the show to discuss his starring role in Steven Soderbergh's new crime drama, No Sudden Moves, available on HBO Max. If you were black, you had to be able to play chess in the chess game. So mm -hmm. if they had negotiators with them, you have to negotiate. Mm -hmm. If the negotiations didn't go well and they had guns, you had to have guns. Yes. So, you know, you, you could not negotiate with someone who felt you were weak and unprepared. The only way you could negotiate with them is to look them in the eye and they understood the consequences of disrespecting. So I play the head of the black gang and um, we negotiate over some issues. If you want to hear the full interview with Bill Duke, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double arm kid carry. Looks like dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. But the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about nine or ten, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My guests today are Brandon Puncher Williams. Had him on, but he got a sidekick on today. Last time I had him on, he was by himself. You know, but he's going to bring on Ebony Blandon. Puncher was the owner of Puncher's Late Night Fry Trap. If you got video, if you're watching on TV, you can see he's promoting it right on his chest. He's a man that I love. I love a person that understands the value of promotion. And Ebony, she's a talented writer and director who's recently featured in Variety as one of Black Magic's future feature film director. While, while working at the Fire Trap, she handles the front office and behind the scenes and creating content ideas and, as they say, building community relations. They're on the show to talk about their new movie project, Jordan and Poncho's Late Night Friday. I got the menus right here. Yeah, I got the menus here. We're going to talk about some of this food because you know I love I'll be, I'll be, I'll be liking you on uh, Instagram and everything, so I'll be giving you love there. The Fire Trap, they, they're priding themselves in preserving the history and the culture of serving a piece of magic city in the form of fries. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Brandon Poncho Williams. And for the first time, I'm going to call a director, producer. You know, black magic, black girl magic, Ebony Blanding. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sean. Well, Puncher, you know, let, you know, we we've been talking, man, and um, when you first came on the air, you know, you was the early stages, you know, of the business launch, but you were like, man, this is for real, you know, you know, you it, I, I love it because you know you started something, it was it was jumping off, but you didn't trust whether any longevity was there, so. Tell people about that early stage so we can talk about what you, because then you had to ride through the pandemic, and now we're on the show talking about you got Ebony sitting next to you. So talk about those early days of just having an idea and not really wanting to step out there full time with that idea. Well, the the first initial start was a proof of concept. Does this idea really work? Does it really serve an audience, the audience that we want to serve? Um and again, in testing it out from our own, we, we did see that it did work, but then came the pandemic. So does this work within the pandemic, within uh, these, these this dire situation and actually uh, still sustain us? And we found out that indeed it did. Um, it's it's kind of wild because now we, we we have to close the trap rush. It's, it's crazy, but not in a bad way. We're actually moving and we're moving into another phase that allows us to expand our menu more, expand our culture and our experience for our customers more. Um, and that indeed is the next next testament to whether Punch-O's is a, a, a true institution of the matter. Well, it is a true institution. You know, and the reason you win, because well, the first time I interviewed you was by yourself. You was hustling. And now you have a person who shares your vision. Ebony, she's sitting right next to you. And uh, Ebony, talk about coming into Brandon's life and what do you see your vision of the company growing let me add ebony's been here from the jump she she wasn't oh. on with, the, with me on the last interview she was probably doing some some filmmaking oh, stuff but oh. she's my co she's co-founder and co-owner oh, oh excuse me ebony see they didn't put that in the in the little bio they sent over here they just said you you know you were just a, a front office and everything they didn't say an originator you know a true instigator a true visionary <laughs> see tell them next time they, whoever doing the bio ebony you need to look at the bio before it go out Okay, so okay. you can get your just reward because he know I do my homework now. Okay, so I do my homework, but this is I'm, I'm just messing with him. This is all good, but still, behind anybody, I got six sisters, I got a wife, I got uh, Samantha, she's the executive producer. I'm just saying all these females make me better. 
So I'm not shocked, Ebony, that you sitting there, you know, holding it down. But you need to get on the bio, okay? <laughs> well, thank you for having us. I think that um, early on with Puncho's and when uh, Puncho came up with the idea, because it did come from his, um, it's his namesake, so it came from his brain. But uh, we both love to eat. Um, and we like to eat a particular uh, type of way. Uh, we're, we're foodies, if you will. So we eat a lot of local things in Atlanta and go to spots that perhaps people wouldn't venture to. But we don't necessarily mind uh, traveling a good distance for some great food. Um, and with that being said, we're both artists, uh, both filmmakers. And um, we were in between gigs. And anyone who works in the art uh, industry or the film industry, um, they know that... Um, unless you're working for like a big studio and even yes. then you're always kind of chasing jobs. Right. And Puncho uh, is an entrepreneur. Um, he was that when I first met him and he's done other things. And I think for him, and when I'm so fortunate for um, in, in regards to my life as a, uh, as a filmmaker, but also his partner is for someone to introduce uh, a different way to be an entrepreneur to you. Um, and so Brandon early on, a.k.a. Puncho, really understood that for us to be what we wanted to be in life and for us to really be able to make the stories that we want to make, because we make stories that have Black people front and center, mm -hmm. then it was going to look like for us having to have our, uh, have our own pocketbook, so to speak, yes. be able to finance our own things. Yes. Um, and it doesn't look like chasing jobs. It looks like making your own jobs. Right. Um, and so Puncho's Late Night Fry Trap has really been able to do that uh, for both of us um, allowing us to not only manifest, um, I guess, like the physical culture part of being from Atlanta and wanting to have an institution here, because um, we're both natives, but also from the art perspective, uh, putting us in position where we don't have to compromise our values. We don't have to compromise the world that we're creating on screen. Um, because Punchos allows us to humbly, but it allows us to uh, be able to really put some backing behind um, our projects and be able to really uh, support ourselves. Oh, indeed. Well, you know, she said a lot, okay? <laughs> She's articulating the, 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 the artistic side of it. But the base of it is Poncho's Late Night Fry Trap. Absolutely. Okay, right. she said it early on, foodies. And I'm going to ask you, because I call myself a foodie. And I'm going to tell you something. If anybody watched me eat, they go, dude, I don't know why you're not four times bigger than what you are. Because i that's what a foodie. That, that's my testament of food. I, I go in, dude. I sample stuff. I love variety. I don't run from any type of new idea and new stuff. Now, the blessing of our relationship is that French fries, Boy, I, I love me some good French fries. Now, I'm going to tell you just a little history of me. Like all black people, you know, back in the day, McDonald's was my number one fry, okay? Love me. Couldn't, couldn't go wrong with McDonald's. They tried to copy. Burger King tried to copy. Everybody. And then, then I fell into five guys because, you know, you go in there for a medium, they give you an extra law. Anybody who buys a large fry from five guys is crazy because you get the medium, they're going to give you a large, all right? And then Samantha, my executive producer, she, she know I love fried. She said, have you, fried, have you tried Poncho Late Night Fried Trap? I said, what's that? She said, you need to try that. They good. They good. So that's how I came into your world, through my executive producer. So that word of mouth plays a big role into what you're doing. Talk about, like you said, man, you're not like me as a baker. I didn't go to a, a culinary school. You're not a you're not a, a, a you know a degreed chef. 
So you just took an idea. Talk about that idea, because that's what we always talk about on this show, is that people have all these great ideas, and they're afraid to pursue them. They're afraid. People knock them down, saying, that ain't you. You don't have time for that. But here you are, took an idea. Like Ebony said, it was your idea. But you guys have grown into a business that's now being transferred to a new location, but still able to live your other fantasy or other dream, I should say, not fantasy, because it's happening. Fantasies are not reality. The things you're doing in the filmmaking business is are dreams that are reality. Talk about that whole pushing past the uh, the doubters. Pushing past, man. You, you, that was so much rush because I, I feel it uh, internally, cellularly. And just being that, being that Punchos was an idea that we know people love fries. Yes. But how does this connect to, to the, the true energy? And I need to retract to where I base my thoughts in. It is in the energy, and it's not necessarily in my skill um, and, and as a fry maker, although I do take a lot of focus on making this fry like the best one ever, like comparable yes. to the McDonald's fry. So there's intention behind just knowing that the name connects to the need being Punchos is an Atlanta brand. We need late night food. Everyone loves fries. So I know these things connect. Yes. Um, and the idea of the energy being that this box of fries can be a key to many other doors. It's not just a box of fries. This keys, this key, this this box of fries open the door to to money making conversations. Yes. To Pat Pullman District, mm -hmm. to Pittsburgh Yards, to uh, Atlanta United, to the Hawks, to the Falcons. So it's more than fries. And the idea behind it is knowing that all these things are naturally intertwined in your idea and that once you give it out into the universe, these things will naturally be attracted to it. So that's truly what the, the intention behind and the power behind that first initial idea and launching it the way that you you see it, although you do need some insight and, and a lay of the land to understand where you're going. Mm -hmm. um, but once you do that, you go for it and you you trust what you, what you feel and what the universe gave you. Well, you know, one thing about black people, man, you know, you give them a lot of anything, man, they in love. You know, you give them a lot of rice, you know, woo, they going to come back. You know what I'm saying? You give them a lot of fries, brother. You put something on top of the fries, boy, you got, come on now. You know they they coming back up in that joint because they want to, they want more for their dollar. And that's your brand. The brand that you're doing at Poncho's Late Night Fry Trap, you get value, good food, dollar value, and you get a lot to take home. Because I don't know any black person that doesn't get excited when they go in the restaurant and they go, can I have my doggy bag? Because they want to take stuff home, you know, because money means something to us. Now, when I say that, you know, people always say money means something to everybody. Nah, black people, money means something to us, man, because it's so hard to get it, and sometimes we can't even save it. So when we have to spend it, it has to go a little bit further than the normal everyday dollar. And so when you see that, when you hear me talking like that, Ebony, and you, you know, you enter the community, what are they saying about Poncho's Late Night Fry Trap? I think in particular, because we're based in Atlanta, and for folks who know, like, uh, you'll hear people talk about old Atlanta versus new Atlanta. Uh -huh. um, old Atlanta, so to speak. Um, and with that being said, there's a lot of gentrification that has happened in the city. Yes. And I think people's first thing when they see us, two black folks um, of our age uh, doing what we're doing, um, I think they're proud. I think that's the first uh, energy uh, that I kind of receive from people is how mm -hmm. proud they are that we're doing this in a city that uh, is our home and how we're really just like 
leaning into being an institution. We tell people early on that, like, if you know about the varsity, if you know about JR Crickets, um, if you know about Pascal, yes, uh, we want to play in that same um, that same pun, and people receive that energy. I think because we set the tone, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something for uh, anyone who's like uh, doing a, a business. You have to really lean into what you're saying you're doing and mean what you say that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like if you say that you're. Uh, doing fries for the culture, Um, then what does the culture mean? So the culture for us looks like we are very involved in our community. It looks like we know the kids that walk up and down the street. It looks like they can call out Puncho's name and uh, he responds. Um, (laughs) And, you know, they actually have a a, a homie, if you will, to really talk to on Mm -hmm. a big brother level. So it's, 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 it's more than fries. And, And you say that all the time, but it really is more than fries. Well, I, I hear you smiling. Come on, get it out, Brandon. Come on, oh, now. Tell, no. tell your just side. Point about, I, I, I just have to salute uh, some of the young guys who who do come, and they patronize, but they also help, right? Mm-hmm. They 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 will be some of the, the hands that, that people will see over at Pratt Pullman who might be unfamiliar faces, but they will be making some delicious fries and uh, providing some awesome service that it just, just is true to Atlanta. That's that's what I love about it. And again, we're, we're in the middle of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is... Uh, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Atlanta. So these young guys are not your normal young guys. These are right. They're involved in a lot of things that they shouldn't be. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's not because they want. It's not because they're horrible people. It's because they don't have a lot of a whole lot of options. So or, or examples, and that's what I am right now. That's what I hope to be, and that's what I see them respond to me as as, as, a, a, as positive, a positive example mm-hmm. um, to show that you can do what you want to do mm-hmm. without all the all the other stuff. You know, uh, the beauty of uh, us talking and being uh, me interviewing, and I always thank you for coming on my show. I consider you a special brand, an entity, you know. And Poncho's, I wanted to be like Varsity. I wanted to be like Pascal's. I wanted to be like, you know, Slutty Vegan, you know, into the brands that people kind of know off the top of their head and also can rattle off the menu, like, you know, the Magic City, you know, Gang Gang, you know, the Bluff, Old Atlanta, 96 Olympics, you know. Seafood shawty, you know, seafood wild caught shrimp and crab sauteed with fresh garlic and herbs over garden fries. Doo! See what I'm saying, man? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Pancho. We know when you can just read it and it sounds edible. It sounds like you, you mad because you can't get over there to the fry trap and get it. That's some good writing, baby. Who wrote that? Was that you, Ebony? Was that you, Ebony? No, I was like, okay, so Puncho is very, very, he's a marketing genius, to be honest with you. He's, he studies a lot about uh, colors and mood. Um, and, you know, I, I will say that I'm a good copy editor. So if it's anything that he writes, um, I definitely will give it a, a second glance. But um, you said you see two, 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 two geniuses. I, I'll, I'll say that. There you go. There you go. I won't take the- I want to take the humility out there. <laughs> okay. See, I'm going to tell you something, Evan. You got to promote. Like, I always tell people, you know, and I always tell people, see, in the era we live, I call it the Muhammad Ali era. Because social mm-hmm. media allows you to shout and say you're great. And mm-hmm. say you, see, see, when she said two geniuses, see, Pancho, I didn't run from that. Because that's what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to let everybody know that when I say, you know, when I say that Magic City fried, eight-ounce fried salmon or salmon, Salmon, you know, I, I say salmon, people are salmon. You say salmon, even black, you say salmon. And shrimp tossed in our very own honey garlic sauce over garlic and chives fried, topped with sesame seed and chives with ranch drizzle. 
That's genius, baby. See, see, every time I, every time I do hip read me, you, you do something with your hands. <laughs> sprinkle. I think about that little sprinkle at the end and a little drizzle. I can't help but do it, right? Like, so, no, thank you so much. It, it's just natural. That's what, that's what it is. These are the flavors that we love. These are the things that we want to eat when we go to a late night location. So it, it's, it's truly very simple to us in this form of, it, it came from a, a, a genuine place. It comes from a genuine place. So we don't have to search long and hard to yes. find the things that connect because we are the people we want to connect with. Um, and that that goes beyond skin color. It goes, be, it, it's it's regional. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's human-based. We all love fries and I don't care Absolutely. who you are. Absolutely. You don't eat one. I don't care if you just want salt on it. I got you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now let, let's flip because I, I got to talk about Ebony, you know, writer, director, who was recently featured in Variety as one of Black Magic's future feature film directors. First of all, let me tell y'all about Variety. See, Variety is not a, I'm not going to, Variety is like you have a Hollywood Reporter and you have Variety in Los Angeles, okay? I've been in Los Angeles 1992, okay? I know when you, your name appear in Variety, you frame that. You put it on the wall. You call your mama, call some best friends. The girl, I'm in Variety because they put it in. She would be, I know she was sending that link out to everybody. She was texting that link out to everybody. You put it on social media. You had to because that's one of the top entertainment magazines in the country. That when you get a Variety, that like that's like the that's like the front page of the New York Times. You know, you know, you have the Atlanta Constant Journal Constitution. Then you have New York Times, different levels. You know, mm. no disrespect to AJC. Read it all the time. No disrespect to Houston Chronicle. Read it all the time. But when you tell somebody you're in the New York Times, they go, girl, what did you do? You did something really good or something bad, okay? <laughs> you did something really good. So talk about the reaction to you being acknowledged like that so people get a sense of, because I always like people, there's so many costumes that we wear as black mm. people, you know, because we have to do a lot of different things just to get to it get to the end game, and then eventually you can just take off and real, reveal to everybody who you really are, the genius that you are. Yeah, right yeah. now, you're an entrepreneurial genius, and you've been recognized as a future star, as a writer-director. Talk about that by Variety Magazine. Talk about that acknowledgement. Um, well, to your point, yeah, I definitely sent that uh, article to my dad and my grandma and everybody. <laughs> um, I'm so proud of it. Um, and I think for anyone who does filmmaking, you know how long it takes for you to go throughout your journey mm -hmm. to, to be able to get exposure and to be able to get articles. So I think for me, Rush, early on to your point of, um, of kind of like taking off your uh, shell, if you will, and showing people who you are, mm -hmm. I've always leaned into telling people who I was. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm very, um, before being a, a black girl with magic was a hashtag. I knew, I knew it was uh, powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I haven't necessarily needed to wait for the culture to uh, catch up because I know that Black women are the culture. Um, and so I write about that in a way that I believe is very uh, true to myself, and it seems to be relatable to other uh, Black women in particular, but women at large. And so I think for me, getting the Variety article is just the world catching up, to be honest. Um, I've been doing this for a minute. And right. so anytime, Rush, you know, the, the work that we do, we, we know that we uh, we do it for ourselves, we do it for our communities, but we, we definitely expect some sort of fanfare around it. So I'm, I'm appreciative at this point in my career to uh, to be landing some bigger spots. Right. Um, but, I mean, Rush, you know, it doesn't come without a bunch of uh, smaller articles, yes. right? Um, yes. It doesn't come without uh, some of the chitlin circuit. Right. Um, and so just putting in that work and then allowing some of the bigger markets to uh, 
when they catch up to it to to amplify you is a really great feeling. Well, first of all, to be recognized by any level, and and I've yeah. learned that you know sometimes you know you're on the grind and you don't respect the, mm-hmm. the recognition or the acknowledgement. That's why that's why I'm letting you know. Just in case, you know, it's died down, you know, uh, it ever happened. No, that's still a big deal. And, yeah. and it has to be recognized as a big deal. And it's led to a project that we're going to talk about for a little bit on the show, because I know I brought you on to talk about Poncho's Late Night Fry Trap. But there's a film called Jordan that's out there that's, that you guys have produced, shot. Tell us the, the, the synopsis of the movie. And we're going to talk about the importance of you producing and writing and directing that movie. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm the writer-director. Puncho is one half of the producing team. He's also the editor. Um, and to, to keep it short, I guess... No, no, no. Don't keep it short, girl. Come on now. Okay. We told you. Sure. I'll give you... I'll give you, you uh, hey, 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 Brandon, you need to tell her who she's talking to. You tell your story on my show. Uh, like she was talking to like this is a five-minute interview. Girl, take your time. Get the word oh, out. I got you. I got you. Um, the story is about a Black girl adventure discovering a Black mermaid. Um, a mermaid who looks like the women who she looks up to. Um, and if anyone is familiar with uh, Black folklore and uh, some of the older stories, uh, mermaids and merfolks have always been tied to a lot of our um, storytelling. Right. So my story centers a Black girl from Georgia, go figure, who is on a fishing trip with her father um, and she discovers uh, a mermaid and she's a mermaid enthusiast. So she takes her back home only to discover she's not what she seems. Uh, so this story involves a lot of uh, cli-fi, which is a climate fiction. We talk about the environment. Right. Uh, we talk about pollution and how in, in particular it affects uh, black and marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about a black father supporting his black uh, daughter's wildest dreams and imagination. <laughs> right, right. For me, that's something I'm very familiar with. I'm a daddy's girl. And mm-hmm. so I used to go on fishing trips with my dad in Georgia and Alabama. Um, and there's nothing that my dad, there's nothing that I thought I couldn't do because I had my dad telling me always that mm-hmm. you can do anything. Right. Um, and so this is a story that I feel, uh, in particular, black dads and black daughters will be very happy to watch together. Uh, because we see a lot, of course, in media where we see uh, black fathers aren't uh, represented. They're not there. Uh, they're not showing up. And this is a dad who loves his daughter. Like you see it from the beginning to the end. Um, he relishes in her playtime. He relishes in her adventure. And so when she discovers a black mermaid and brings her home, um, he's excited to be a part of that. And so, yeah, it stars uh, Bissette Williams, who is a force of nature. Right. Uh, she's like a 14-year-old uh uh, young protege, you'll see her. Um, and then we have uh, playing the mermaid, um, a beautiful actress. Her name is Artrice um, Johnson. And then for the father, playing the father, we have uh, Jeff Kanje. All black cast, beautiful talent. They're truly like the next superstars that you're going to see up, I believe. Well, good. Ebony, um, oh, you said that Pancho was the producer. Yeah. You know, okay, they say they always say black people can't swim. They say black people <laughs> yeah. go to the beach, they don't go in the water. You know, we just walk along the beach, you know. Yeah. You know, uh then then she gonna come to you, Poncho, with this idea about a little girl fascinated with a black mermaid. Okay. Tell me, walk me through the steps, man, through the pitch. Come on. Well, <laughs> it's 
it's not even, it's so timely that it wasn't even a pitch. It didn't need to be a pitch. Mm-hmm. Once I heard the story and I know and saw how much she put into it and uh-huh. I knew what time it was in the sense of uh, us creating our own stories. Because again, we're, we started this fry trap thing so we could so we could do this. Yes, sir. And that's what hit me. It was like, oh, now it's time. Mm-hmm. And the level that we previously worked at, it was it was pretty great for an indie level. But mm-hmm. this time, Rush, this time we went major. This time we had a full camera lighting and grip package from um, PC&E, mm-hmm. which is a rental house mm-hmm. in Atlanta who uh-huh. rents to Marvel. Um, yeah, I know where it's at. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just letting everybody... So that's pretty big. It makes mm-hmm. sponsor the full package. Okay. Also, we had a, a, a sponsorship from Atelier Prop House for our mm-hmm. art and props. Mm-hmm. And these are things that rest when it comes to budget. <laughs> <laughs> It throws a lot off your shoulders. I won't put a number on it, but man, we 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 were blessed. And mm-hmm. to see it come together with our crew, mm-hmm. which again is a community of our 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 family, people who we've created with over the past few years, past five, six years, um to have them work collectively after we've come along individually and watch all the synergy come together, to see people and hear people speak to the energy that they felt while they're on our sets. Um it's just overwhelming, man. I can't even, I can divulge how much, but then it would go on and on because we get it from every side when it comes to people appreciating it and being grateful. And in turn, we are overly grateful. So yes. to be able to produce this level of film, even though in short form, and to know that we have a proof of concept that we can now take into other worlds and other offices and present to the people who we want to present to, um, and, and just to see what the response is. But yes. to know we have something solid, yes. especially about a plaque, Girl, tween adventurer with a, uh, I won't, I won't mention what the mermaid actually is, but they nope. discovers a mermaid, mm-hmm. and we really see this. We don't like a lot of times as filmmakers, especially independent filmmakers, we get criticized for the quality of our work, being in the visual or the sound, especially in the story. We don't always have complete stories, mm-hmm. but there is a mighty feat in getting it done and getting what you want, and not necessarily what you need because that's filmmaking, and that's exactly what we did, right? So that was the process. Getting in it, like really getting into the, the nooks and crannies of the nooks and crannies to find out what this story is and where this story aligns with, where the intersectionality is between um, whether it's climate justice or racial justice. Mm-hmm. All these things are a factor and all these things are something that we had to, to swim through. To your point about swimming, no, black people swim. We swim hard and we walk light. And that Absolutely. was our slogan for the whole film. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that you said that. Yeah. But it's... It was a matter of getting through those with our, getting through those moments with all of our crew, our lovely DP James Fraser. James, if you watch this, I love you, bro. <laughs> and them, them pounding that story out, us pounding out the vision. And then my, now me in post-production looking at the, the footage like, oh my God, we did this. Yes. And knowing that, I'll just give a, a quick, another sponsorship that we're looking at is, is Moonhouse Studios. Moonshine. Moonshine, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Moonshine, I'm sorry, Moonshine. Moonshine, you can Google them. They, to do everything. <laughs> so <laughs> we are more than under to have a confirmation from them mm-hmm. that they'll assist us with this project too. Well, so, uh, well you know, uh, we come on here talking about Poncho. First time I got to meet Ebony, you know, doing her thing. But, you know, she's been, it's, it's kind of great because she's being shouted out by a, a power that's bigger than me, Variety Magazine, Entertainment, Los Angeles based. You. you know, Poncho is going to be at Pratt Pullman District, that menu. You know, I just shouted out some of the menus, just let y'all know. Whenever he knows, last time he came on the show, I printed out his menu. He know how I do Fry Trap. I'll be talking about that menu. Now, you hey. had something about, we're going to close this out real short. You saying about, when do you expect to see Rashawn homemade <laughs> pies on the menu? 
Look here, bro. It's a trap. Now we want to hustle with you. You know we we want to support every issue. Did you say everything? Said genius, genius, genius. Okay. Three geniuses gonna get together, gonna make that happen. All right, that's all I'm saying, brother. She said genius, genius. She just left out this genius. Three geniuses go. Three G's. Three G's gonna get together, baby. We gonna make this happen. Okay. No, seriously, I, 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 man, I love you, Russell, because the way that you posture this money making conversation and just the way that you speak to the to how to traverse life in entrepreneurship and. I, you uncover it all and you speak directly to the points and the places that people a lot of times um, just simply overlook or simply overthink. Yes. So I think the more that we not necessarily simplify because it's not a simple process. Business and entrepreneurship is hard until you understand the game and the lay of the land and what factors mean what. Um, I will say that point. I didn't not doing it because again, I'm the best chef, but I do understand how to make customers experiences great. And that's what I want to do through fries. And that's what we want to do through fries and film. So, and pies. So let's get those pies, bro. Let's get those pies. <laughs> I love it, man. Look, I won't hold you anymore. Thank you both. Everything. Thank you for coming into my world. And uh, Brandon, you always going to be in my world because you're my little brother, okay? I'm going to treat you right. I feel the same. And I'm definitely coming by to see you. I, want, I just want to thank everybody, especially uh, Samantha and Tristan uh, for bringing us back. And, and, and what we're going to do is, is when y'all come, Ebony, come with him, okay? So I'm going to make some desserts and everything so we can have fun, okay? I'm going to make some of my homemade ice cream for y'all, too. You know what I'm saying? I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for coming on Money Making Conversations, okay? Thank you. Please remember, always lead with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Molly Music is a Grammy Award winning musician, songwriter, and producer. He is an artist first and foremost, but he will not be put in a box. He loves the freedom of creating amazing music, no matter whether it's gospel, R&B, hip-hop, or rock. You open up the doors to be heard out by a different race, and then it gets uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Just because you start bringing out different issues. Mm -hmm. I recently traveled to Nashville to do some songwriting with Chad, lead singer, Christian rock band, Unspoken. Mm -hmm. And it was a challenge for me, mm -hmm. especially coming from soul background, gospel background. Mm -hmm. But I had to remember, I have songs that have rock uh, feels for it. So man, the spreading and the falling of the genres is definitely good. I've been watching it happen in hip hop and other genres for a long time. And I'm glad that it's finally made it to gospel. If you want to hear the full interview with Molly Music, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Every year, compliance regulations change thousands of times. And every year, ADP makes thousands of seamless platform updates so businesses can focus on everything else, like running their business. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.